morning, everybody. Today, I want to speak on pursuing love. And I think after a worship session like that, we, can, we feel what it is to be loved. We feel how much we need it, how much we need the unconditional love of God. And the Bible tells us that we should go after living a life of love as if our life depended upon it, because it does. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, we read this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. When, uh, I don't know if any of you have noticed little Jethro sometimes. He comes and he stands on the stage and he just watches the drummer. He absolutely loves to just watch worship and watch what's going on. When, uh, when our eldest boy, Jed, was younger, he was similar, not uh, quite as devoted as Jethro um, or quite as disciplined to stand still. That's quite amazing how Jethro just stands there for 30 minutes watching it. But uh, he, he loved music and he loved drums. And so uh, Mac and Jen, Richard's folks, Jed's grandparents, decided to spoil him one Christmas. I think he was three years old with a full kiddies drum set, like the whole thing, the bass drum, the snare drums, the cymbals, the whole thing. It was, they had to set it up because you just can't present something like that to a child in a box. So we went over to their house. It was a big occasion to go, and it might have been his birthday actually, because they, I don't think it, there was other gifts. It was, it was just, just this drum set. And so the whole thing was set up and covered with, with a tablecloth. And we said, Jed, your gift is under there. And so, you know, maybe Papa, the grandpa, opened the sheet, and there he saw this unbelievable full drum set. And he sat down, and he made a noise, and it was just so incredible for the first day or two. <laughs> and then it soon came to our attention that though this child had received an incredible gift, he didn't yet have the skill and the timing and the grace to turn this gift into a blessing for others. <laughs> and we all know what it is to, to see people, to see in ourselves, to see in each other where we have been given a gift, we've been given a skill, we've been given a talent, uh, it might be a physical gift like that was, it might be a spiritual gift, uh, it might be a, a natural talent, and yet the way that we use it and the way that we display it, when it is without love, it is disturbing, it's harsh, it's, it's, uh, it, it gets a bit much. And the louder that gift is, the bigger that gift is, the more disturbing it becomes. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, as I started to read, I just want to read a few more verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
I can spend my whole life trying to create, trying to display my identity, and yet if it is without love, I'm nothing. I can spend my whole life trying to build others up, trying to achieve something, trying to, to make something, and yet if I have not love, I gain nothing. I achieve nothing. Those are such strong words. As I was studying this in the Bible, I, I scribbled in the scriptures, in, in, in the margin, this, in the end, your position and gifting fall away. Who I am will be measured one way, by how much I love. Love is all that remains, and love is all about others. It is nothing about self and pride and what I've built and my own identity and who I've become. Love is all about others, and it is the only thing that remains, and it's the only thing that truly matters. So how can we be transformed into living a life of love? How can we be something that counts? How can we give something that counts? How can we build something that really matters in this world? I'm going to continue reading from, uh, oh, sorry, are you stuck on the scriptures there? It doesn't show up. You can just listen. Sorry, I think they're having a bit of uh, difficulty putting it up on the screen. But you can just listen to me. I think many of you are familiar with these verses anyway. And so listen as I read. As we continue with 1 Corinthians 13, we read this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Friends, one of the reasons we worship with such passion is because even though we are fully known, we are fully loved. God sees the parts of ourselves that we don't like. He sees the parts of ourselves that we don't even know that other people don't like. <laughs> we are fully known by him, and yet we are fully loved. And one day we will fully know. One day we will fully understand. And so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so it, the word goes on, pursue love. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the gifts, yes. We want something to give. We want to be able to give and build with talents and gifts. Desire those things, but pursue love. Go after a life of love as if your life depended upon it, because it does. Because it does. Thankfully, in that scripture, we get the assurance that we will mature. <laughs> 
And we one day will be mature enough to understand all things. One day we will be mature enough to love the way that we are loved, to love God the way that we are loved, to love each other the way that we are loved. God knows us fully and yet loves us. And one day we will know fully and be able to love others as he has loved us. Often, I think many of you probably do the same, go to Eugene Peterson's writing of the message where he uh, interprets or puts into his own paraphrase, his own words, some of the words that maybe we've been reading for many years and we become quite familiar with them. And he has such a beautiful way of doing that. And so I actually want to add to, to what I've read this morning the way that he has written this exact same passage. And he says this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. It trusts God always. It always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps on going to the end. So I want to zoom in on three ways that we can maybe start to implement because love is so broad. Love is so massive. We could make pursuing love our life goal. We should make pursuing love our life goal. But maybe there's three more things we can adopt today, we can look at today, that can help us to do this better. The first, the first one that I want to look at is to release resentment. We, we read that love is not resentful. So how do we release resentment? It's very difficult to love others when we are feeling resentful. Will you pass me that teapot, please, Rich? It's always good to have a cup of tea when you want to release resentment or when you want to express love. And so this good enamel teapot, nice African-looking teapot, I want to just use it to uh, explain something that you all know, but it's still it's important for us to think about. So when we come to our relationships, you all know what this is. You probably know what it looks like from every angle. It looks different that side, though, hey? That side, it, it has a very specific look. On that side of it, on this side, another different but similar specific look. When it comes to relationships, we never get to see exactly what the other person sees. We never get to stand in exactly the same position. When I'm in a relationship with you, I'm looking at the situation, the conversation, you, I'm looking at it from this angle. And from this angle, there is a green handle and a teapot. But from the other side, you're looking at it, and there's no such thing as a green handle. There's no green handle. For, for you to believe me that there is a green handle in this situation requires you to completely surrender everything that you know. Because there is no, there is, from this side, there's zero visibility. Of a, yellow, of a green handle. See, I can't even remember what color it is on this side. And I was there five seconds ago. That's not all. I can tell you that there's a green handle and you have to choose whether or not to believe me, but 
my vision is also inaccurate and imperfect and marred by my lenses. So I might be telling you there is a small green handle when in actual fact there is a big green handle. And you might be hearing from somebody sitting over there and they're saying, don't, don't listen to her, she is wrong. She is seeing incorrectly, there is a big green handle on the other side. There is so much possibility. There is every possibility of, of broken down telephones in our relationships, every possibility. Because we see from completely different viewpoints. And both of us see inaccurately. Add to that, we communicate poorly. <laughs> so I might be seeing a small green handle incorrectly, differently from what you see, and I explain it to you in such a way that makes it sound like I'm seeing something even different to that. I can't think of a different difference. <laughs> a tiny green handle, maybe, or a small round handle instead of a small square handle. I, I'm not explaining myself in what I really mean. We have different viewpoints. We're sinful. Our lenses are tainted. And our expression, our ability to communicate is actually surprisingly poor. <laughs> For a bunch of educated adults, you would think that we can communicate better I would think that I can communicate better what I'm trying to say, but when, when I fight for reconciliation, when I fight for relationship, and someone tells me what they think I said, I think, I absolutely butchered that communication. How can I, as an educated adult who has worked on my maturity, be communicating so poorly? Or having a facial expression, or a an attitude that has been communicated that is different from what I meant. So much is lost in translation when it comes to relationships. Uh, Matthew was here a few weeks ago. He was the, the, is the gospel choir director of Paris, the Paris gospel choir director, also a church leader in Paris. And while he was here, some of the things that he said from the stage, you could have taken a different way. We only met Matthew, well, I only, Richard had knew Matthew previously. I only met Matthew on Friday night. On Sunday, he preached, and then we went on to spend the week together. As we spent the week together, I got to know him a lot better than I did that Sunday. And so as we got to know each other, and as he uh, strove, both of them, obviously, but this example is about Matthew, as he strove to make himself understood and to check with me and with us that he was communicating what he thought he was communicating, I began to know him a little bit better, better, and I realized that some of the things that he communicated were said in a completely different tone than he had meant. For example, he stood up on stage and said, I'm famous in Paris. In Durban, South Africa, or in my circle uh, that I understand, to say I'm famous is, an, is a statement of arrogance. Maybe not to all of you, because I'm learning that there is, we all communicate so differently. So he said, I'm famous. I just met him. I'm like, okay, he thinks he's famous. That's great. Later on in the week, he told us a story of a person, another person, that had come from America and really was so full of himself, full of his own glory, full of his own fame. And I realized that Matthew didn't mean at all, I'm famous. 
In fact, I realized he meant I'm well-known in Paris. It's exactly the same thing. It's a synonym, but it means something totally different. Another thing that he said was, um, he said, uh, he, he called himself a mucker, uh, which, I mean, Richard has just said that Mark mocks him, but we understood there was a, there was a nuance to that. But later on Monday, I teased Matthew back, and he said, you are a mucker. And I realized, wow, that's really offensive. <laughs> I don't like being called a mucker. And as you know, Wednesday, Thursday, I said, so Matthew, out of interest, when, when someone says a mucker, I'm picturing Jesus on the cross and people like spilling on him. It's, it's a strong word. I would say um, we're, we're teasing, we're, we're playing. And, and he was so embarrassed when he realized what he communicated. One more thing is he said regularly, uh, this and this and this, but I don't care. And I realized what he meant was, I don't mind. And so again, I said, Matthew, I don't care means uh, I have no regard for that. I don't mind to me, to most South Africans, I think, means I'm, I'm easy about that. I'm, I, I, it could go either way for me. <laughs> they all mean the same thing. I don't care, I don't mind. Uh, famous, well-known, teaser, mocker, they're the same, but lost in translation is the nuance. I'm, I'm laboring the point to say, friends, we have to go over and beyond to release resentment, over and beyond to understand each other's hearts, to fight for relationship. Richard and I last week celebrated 20 years of marriage. To some of you, that is a, a teapot in an ocean, <laughs> and I'm grateful. Uh, but, but 20 years of marriage is a miracle. It's a, it is a miracle of surrender and humility and turning the other cheek because guess what? We're both married to sinners. <laughs> when we stay in relationship with people, it is a miracle. Any friendship that lasts is a miracle. Any family that stays together is a miracle. Any church community that chooses to come back, because without a doubt, there will be things said in the coffee shop, from the stage, which you could take two ways, or which are just offensive, no matter what way you take them. Relationships are a miracle. We have been given the miracle of love, unconditional. It is a miracle, which is why we are a miracle community, because Christians understand that we are loving sinners. I'm specifying Christians because I learned recently that, uh, that Islam doesn't believe that people are inherently uh, sinful, that when it comes to the Islam religion, it's a, it's a weighing. You, your good deeds are weighed up against your bad deeds. And at the end of the day, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, from what I've understood uh, recently, then you have been successful in, in getting into heaven. We know <laughs> from what we've been taught in our religion by Jesus is that we are just inherently sinful. We inherently have inside of us, even my good deeds are filthy rags because I don't even know what my motivations are 
for the, the best deeds that I ever do, the way I love my children. Like, that's the most selfless relationship. And yet even in that area, I sin. Because we understand that, we are able to become this miracle community which loves each other and forgives each other and releases resentment of each other miraculously. Not holding each other, not saying, but what about this list of sins? Knowing that there is a list of sins there. There are things in my life that, I, that are wrong that I know. There are things in my life that are wrong that I don't know and you know please forgive me, please forgive each other. This is the miracle of love, to release resentment, to be willing to understand that some things are lost in translation and sometimes we're just inherently sinful. We hear a lot about toxic relationships um, and I understand that there are relationships that are truly harmful for us and we need to protect ourselves. But I was thinking recently, I wonder if there's any relationship that is not toxic, <laughs> because I am toxic. I am toxic, and I think that we're all toxic if I believe in, in the, the concept of original sin, in which case, to some degree or other, every relationship is toxic, and we have to work really hard to release resentment and obviously to become more loving towards each other. I, I, I'm not suggesting a blanket remaining in an abusive relationship. I hope you understand that. Just, just wanting us to pursue love a little bit harder, a little bit further, a little bit longer. What does it mean to pursue love? Love is not resentful. Wow. Love is not resentful. Secondly, we need to nuke narcissism. <laughs> so we need to put to death our own self-love, the self-life within us. Can we nuke narcissism? Can we put to death the old self that is within us? We need to, to overthrow the tyrant that is our old life, the, the self that wants to be in charge, that wants to prefer myself because we read that love looks like preferring others. Love looks like putting our lives down for the sake of others. Colossians 3 says this, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Your old life is dead. Your new life is your real life. Your new life is invisible to spectators, it's, it's with Christ and God. Our new life is, is hidden, but when Christ appears in glory, we also will appear in glory. Meanwhile, can we be content with obscurity? How do we put to death our old life? Ephesians 4 says it this way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So there's a very intentional actions going on there. There are very intentional actions going on there. There's a putting off, there's a putting on, there's a putting off, there's a putting on, there's a putting off, there's a putting on. Anybody who is on a journey of spiritual maturity will know that this happens about 33 times a day. And if any of you have ever had the privilege of going to a, a change room at a shopping center and, and changing 33 times a day, you'll know that it is exhausting and it takes a lot of effort and energy putting off, putting on, putting off, putting on, putting off, putting on. It takes effort. It takes work. Uh, it doesn't always look good in those mirrors, <laughs> but hopefully it looks a bit better when we walk out. Putting off and putting on takes a lot of effort. But ironically, when the self-life within us rules, we're actually not free. When, the, when we allow our self-life to run riot, to have everything that it wants, we're living under oppression, under the tyranny of ourself, rather than under freedom. We, um, with, with my children in school, we're busy learning about the children of Soweto, uh, and specifically around the, the uprising of, of the children of Soweto when they realized that the education system that they were under was actually an oppressive system training them not to succeed in life, training them not to lead, training them to be servants and to be held further under oppression. But when they were younger, these children, they were in the system and to obey was good. To obey your teachers was helpful. To, to follow what the system was teaching you was good for them. As they grew older and were 16, 17, 18 years old, they were able to assess the system and realize that the system was becoming more and more oppressive while they were in it. But they had to have the maturity to recognize the oppression before they could fight against it. We need the maturity to recognize how the system within us, the self-life within us, which we think by giving into its needs is going to be a good. It's going to be, it's going to be obeying the system. We have to understand that we are under an oppressive system. This system is so smart that, as the scripture we've just read says, we are corrupted by our deceitful desires. It's corrupt, the system. It's completely corrupt. As that Bantu education system was completely and utterly corrupt, the system within us, the old life, the old self, is completely corrupt. It's deceitful. It's tricking us. It's lying to us to tell us what we really need, to tell us that we need to prefer ourselves, to tell us that it's me above everyone else, to tell, to tell me to elbow other people out the way and to prefer myself. And when someone comes and brings to me an idea of the fact that there might be a spout on the other side, it's for me to say, absolute rubbish. That's not true. I think that's self-protecting. I think that's good for me, but I need to recognize that I'm in an, opp an oppressive system and start to free myself, start to put to death the old self, start to nuke the narcissism in my life and see a different way. Self-love and self-care are very important when they are coming from our new self. Our old self takes hold of those teachings and says, ah, oh, good, it's self-love, I'll prefer myself. Ah, oh, it's self-care, I was told to do this. All the smart people, all the psychologists, they're telling me this. It's beautifully important when it is from a position 
of our new life, our new selves. So how do we do it? How do we nuke narcissism? How do we put to death? How do we even recognize which self is speaking? Which, which, where, what we're supposed to be hearing? There are ways in the scripture that teach us, that train us in the ways of recognizing ourself. One of them is fasting. Nothing shows you which is your, which is your old self, like denying it. <laughs> if you want to know where the tyrant is in the room, ignore him. He will make himself known. <laughs> when you start to ignore and put away with things like fasting, with things like discipline, with things like serving others, <laughs> serve others, prefer others, make a decision to be the one to get up in the morning to make tea. Actually, can you just keep doing that? <laughs> I'm going to think of another example, okay. <laughs> However, be careful. Remember, our desires are completely deceitful. So some of us, especially mothers, I think, but we will serve others, but it's because we're showing how great we are. <laughs> and we're serving others, but we're doing it from our position of deceitful desires. And we're, think, we're thinking, you see now. You see now how I'm the most Christian one in this house. That's just a little red flag. Coming from the self-life. <laughs> Maybe the way that you need to serve others is to teach them to do their chores. Deny ourselves. Fasting, serving others. Being careful of a false identity, being careful of those voices we hear that says that we're the ones doing all the hard work, that we're the ones doing all the recognizing of the other side, that somebody else is not coming around to my side. Friends, there's only one who can see the whole teapot accurately and explain it accurately. And he can see not only that I am limited. Let me just give myself the green handle again. Not only that I'm limited in my view, that I, my lenses are warped, that I'm explaining it badly, he sees all of that and he loves me. And he forgives me. Which is why I worship with such abandon. That's what we're allowed to start to get in each other. That completely, that love that just releases all resentment, that starts to release the fact that maybe I don't know everything, <laughs> that I'm not better than. And then to cultivate kindness, to cultivate kindness. Love is kind. What is kindness to you? Is it gentleness? Is it when someone speaks gently to you? Is that kindness? Maybe when they're thoughtful, when someone goes out the way to show you acts of service. I think kindness is different to all of us, a little bit like uh, love languages are different to all of us. And this makes it an, yet another challenge when it comes to loving each other, is that we all love in different ways, and we show kindness in different ways. It doesn't mean that we don't, shouldn't learn how to show kindness to each other. But I, I was even trying to think of who is the kindest in our family? Who can I use as a, an example? And the first one that jumped to mind was Jada. Jada always speaks gently. She always goes out of her way to be compassionate, to try and, uh, empathetic would be the right word. She thinks 
how are you feeling? And then she tries to respond to that. So I thought, definitely Jada. And then I was like, oh, golly, I mean, none of us come close to the way that Richard will lay down his life for us. Maybe it's Richard. He, you honestly will, will serve us always, may, always. He's like the opposite of the male lion. He always lets us feed first. <laughs> Maybe it's that. And then I just started to go through and I realized every single one of our, I mean, the boys will rush and open the gate for me when I arrive in the driveway and open my car door. There's so much kindness. And then I thought about that line of, does not put itself above, above others and is not rude. And I was like, oh gosh, I live with nine sinners. <laughs> we live with nine sinners, friends. Nine out of nine, four out of four, ten out of ten, whatever is in your house. Trying to show kindness, trying to prefer each other. Can we pursue a life of love? That's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you this morning to once again remember the one who loved us. Remember that he loved us when we didn't know who we were, when we didn't even know how sinful we were. He loved us before we repented, before we could even apologize for everything that we were and everything that we are and everything that we now know we are, but we still haven't changed because we just don't know how to. He loves all of that. And he calls us to love each other. And I'm telling you that every time you choose that, the kingdom of God is in your life. Every time you release resentment, the kingdom of God is in your life. Every time you cultivate kindness, the kingdom of God is in your life. Every time you put to death your old self and you nuke narcissism, the kingdom of heaven is in your life. 1 John 4 verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is our religion. Can any of us measure up? But can any of us spend a day not trying? We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. None of us have it in us. But if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For, who does not, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We are in a season, a time in history where everyone around us is rawer than they normally are. They hurt easier than they normally hurt. And we're all sharper than we normally are. God, you are love. <clears throat> Jesus, you are love. We fall down at your feet. We acknowledge our shortcomings. But we love you, God. We love you and we need your love. We put to death our lives. We empty ourselves before you today.
we ask that you would pour love into us first, as you've already been doing, but through us, God. God, I release the resentment I hold towards those closest to me, those in my immediate family, those in my inner circle, those in my community, and those around me. Father, may I forgive the way you have forgiven me. May I forgive the way you have forgiven me. As I put to death my old self, would you fill me with love? Would you fill us with love for those around us, God? Help me to express that better. Help me to humble myself and understand my limited view. And even if I do see correctly the sin in the other, may I forgive the way you forgave me. I thank you for the miracle of relationship that exists here. The miracle of community, the miracle of marriage, the miracle of family, the miracle of love relationships. Would you continue to do this miracle in us and through us in the name of Jesus and for his glory because no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen.